Last week we, we talked about our words and how they can damage relationships. And we ended up with a couple of verses that, uh, from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You'll, you'll want to head there to Matthew chapter 5. Where Jesus is talking about the importance of being reconciled with our brother. And if you were sharp last week, you actually saw that this is, uh, you know, we, we were talking about when our words hurt somebody else. But the scenario that Jesus was actually talking about in these verses was when somebody has something against you. Now, now we talked about what happens when you have something against somebody else, but it's in this scenario when you are there at the altar and you realize that somebody has something against you, that's when Jesus is saying we need to run to the fire. That's when we need to take responsibility. That's when we need to go seek reconciliation with the one that you have done wrong to. Now, it should, it seems like it should be a fairly easy thing to do to just go to somebody and say, I'm sorry. But I have found that not just Christians, but basically mankind in general have forgotten the lost art of apology. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning, simply because as your pastor, I want us to have the ability to acknowledge when we have done something wrong. I want us to be mature enough in our spirits that we, are be, that we would be willing and would be able to do what is necessary on our part to reestablish unity and love and brotherhood. We must relearn, if we have forgotten it, and we must learn if we've never known it, the art of Christian apology. Now we are going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew again begins the New Testament. Uh, It's the first of the four Gospels. And and Matthew is writing to Jewish people. And and so it's it's in this mindset that we have to get into of of how they would have heard Jesus' words and things like that. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. But today I want to read to you about this passage about running to the fire. It's in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 23. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there... You remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge. And the judge then may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. So I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So much hinges on our ability to get this one right. Our relationship with God hinges on us getting this right. Our relationship with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Our witness to the world actually hinges on us getting this right. If we do it in a lame way church we're going to make it worse now i want to talk to the ladies here has has your man ever tried to fix something and just made it worse yeah Uh, there's that 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 happens a lot there was actually a a survey of this is like family feud like a hundred women were asked to name something that men try to fix but make worse and out of those hundred there are six answers okay six so we're going to play a little family feud here Can anybody guess what one of those six answers is? What women would say that when men try to fix it, they just make it worse. Anybody? What? what, what? The electrical. Okay, that's not on the list. But do you know what you're talking about there? Yes? You kind of know? Somebody else? 
Furniture, like uh, making furniture, okay? That's not on the list either, but okay. So if, they're, if they try. What? Oh, you're moving. Okay, that kind of is there. Because if they're trying to fix the relationship, that's number four. Or if they're trying to fix the arguments that you're having, that's number five on the list. Number six was dinner, by the way. (laughs) Number three was the TV. Number two was the car. And guess what? I mean, first service got this right off the bat. The, the, The number one thing that men try to fix but make worse, the plumbing. The plumbing. Now, folks, this, this doesn't just happen at home. This happens to preachers as well. You, you know, things happen that aren't supposed to happen that we try to fix. And, and, and we're hoping that nobody notices. But like when you get a, a bulletin blooper, uh, something that gets printed up in the bulletin wrong, you, you kind of have to live with that. There, there's a famous one that uh, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the bulletin said, At our church, we emphasize fellowship and gracious hostility. So the preacher tried to make it better. By coming up and apologizing for that and says, you know, no, we, we actually love hurting people. I mean, we love hurting people. Anyways, you understand, sometimes you, you just make things worse without thinking. Our apologies can actually be worse, make things worse. Consider these horrible ways to apologize. I'm sorry you feel that way. Oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. Do you see how that is bad? How about this? Uh, I'm sorry that's just the way I am. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, but anything. A- after that, I'm sorry, but that's a horrible way to apologize. Or the little boy who says to his sister, you're dumb. And his mom says, well, you say you're sorry to your sister. And so the boy says, I'm sorry, you're dumb. So that's a horrible way to apologize. Folks, as disciples, check this out. As disciples, you and I are actually called to a higher standard than the world. I'm going to... We, we now have in our bulletins the, uh, the, the sermon notes again, just a blank page for you to write things on. And if you would, I don't have this as a slide, but I want you to write down these five things because I, I read in an article this last week that said that a true apology, it's talking about true apology, it's an act of these five things. Honesty, so write that down, honesty. Uh, true apology is an act of honesty. It's an act of humility. So a true apology is an act of honesty. It's, a, it, it's a, an act of humility. It's an act of commitment. So there's honesty, there's humility, there's commitment. It's an act also of generosity. So it's an act of honesty, it's an act of humility, it's an act of commitment, it's an act of generosity, and finally, it's an act of courage. Honesty, humility, commitment, generosity, courage. Those, folks, those are characteristics of the citizens of God's upside-down kingdom. And these things are powerful when we can display them because our world tends to be deceptive and prideful and lazy and selfish and cowardly. In other words, the world needs us to learn this so that we can model for them what it really means to be a part of God's family. Now, the first thing that we need to find from Jesus' words there in Matthew chapter 5 and elsewhere, actually, in the New Testament, by the way, is when to apologize. When? Well, what, what did Jesus say? While you're on the road, settle matters quickly. If you're at the altar and you got your offering, leave it there. What he, he's saying is the perfect moment to apologize is the moment that you realize that you have hurt somebody or have offended somebody or have made somebody mad. One of my very favorite movies is a Weird Al Yankovic movie called UHF. 
Don't go rent it. It's dumb. I like it. You probably won't. It's not bad. It's just dumb. Anyways, there, there's, a great, there, there's a great scene where George, played by Weird Al Yankovic, ha, has gone past time. He had, he had asked his girlfriend, uh, he was going to take her out for her birthday, her and her mom and dad. So they, you see them waiting in the restaurant, and he's obviously working late, and he realizes, he goes, oh no, what time is it? And his friend Bob says, oh, it's 7.30. He goes, oh no, and he reaches for the phone. Have you ever been there? You realize that you're in trouble. You're reaching for the phone to make the phone call, and what happens? The phone rings, and who is it? It's Terry. Yeah, he's gotten caught. I love that scene because that has happened to me where I wanted to go. And, and then you have to explain, no, no, really, I was trying to call you to say I'm sorry. When is the best time to say you're sorry? When you realize that you've done something wrong. That's what you'd want somebody to do when they are, are going to apologize to you. But in the light of our own guilt, sometimes we try to duck and cover. Sometimes we try to wait till things maybe blow over. Maybe we try to avoid it altogether by just justifying to ourselves why it wasn't even our fault. Remember last week we saw that Paul says to, in your, in your anger, do not sin. And he says, don't let your sun go down on your anger. Folks, the same could be said of doing your part to diffuse somebody else's anger against you. In the Old Testament, there is a book of wisdom called Proverbs and it gives us insights of wisdom in, in, in regarding relationships. And there are a few verses in there regarding diffusing other people's anger and the situation. And to actually do your part to reestablish a good relationship with other people that you have hurt. For example, Proverbs 15 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 14 says, Fools mock at making amends for sin. But goodwill is found among the upright. And Proverbs 10 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. So it's best to do it quickly. To, to run to the fire in order to snuff it out before it becomes a raging wildfire out of control. But how do you do it? It is an art, and it takes practice. It takes discipline. By the way, when you're a disciple of Christ, there's a lot of things that take discipline. That's do you see how those two words go together? Disciple, discipline. It's, some people believe that when they come to Jesus and they've accepted Jesus and they were forgiven, that was it. That was their finish line. Folks, Jesus said he was the door. And that wasn't the exit door. That was the entrance door. So if you're just standing at the door saying, yay, I'm saved, there's a door to get into the kingdom. And I'd say get into that kingdom. Now it does matter how you live. To, to, to be a disciple is hard work. It takes discipline. So I want us to be able to practice this this year. This, so that eventually it becomes an art. Because once hard first, if you keep doing it over and over and over, you're going to get better at, as time goes on. And it eventually becomes part of you. Three points today and only three points. Here we go. The first thing you got to do is you got to own the offense own the offense. Sorry. That's what I tried to get away with as a kid. Sorry. I'd done something to my older sister, Tondi. Mom was encouraging me to lie. Tell your sister you're sorry. Okay. I'm not. Sorry. Sorry. 
Can you say, when you're telling somebody that you're sorry, can you say what you're sorry for? Can you actually outline what you're sorry for? Can you state what it was that you did to hurt them, to offend them, to make them upset? Uh, Are you sorry for not valuing their time because you were late to the appointment? Sorry. Can, Can you say that? Can you say, I'm sorry, I did not value your time. Are you sorry for making them feel like their opinion didn't matter because you were dismissive of them? Are are you sorry because you hurt their feelings? Are you sorry because you did not show them that they were valuable to you when you didn't make the phone call that you should have made? Sorry, sorry. Are you sorry for being thoughtless and careless with their feelings? See, you can see why this is a hard thing to do, and a lot of people uh, don't like this first step because it takes humility and it takes honesty. Remember those five characteristics of a true apology, honesty and humility. That's what goes into this one. There's a story in the Old Testament about the sons of Jacob. Uh, He had 12 sons. Uh, At this point, we're talking about 11 of his sons, though. The 10 of them, the 10 older ones, plotted to get rid of their younger brother, Joseph. Daddy was favoring the youngest, and, and Joseph tended to lack tact and understanding, and so he kind of threw a fuel on that fire. And so eventually his, his brothers sold him into slavery. They threw him into a pit, first of all. They were going to kill him, and then they said, now let's just let, let's let somebody else kill him. So they sold him into slavery, and they, they figured he was going to die either at the hands of the slave traders or whoever the slave traders would sell him to. God had other plans for Joseph, of course. He raised Joseph up from being a slave to being actually second in command of all of Egypt. Joseph was the one who would save that part of the world from a seven-year famine with the wisdom that God had given to him. And Pharaoh rewarded him very handsomely by giving him a prestige and a title and, and power. But the famine left Egypt and began to creep up into Canaan where Jacob and his sons were still living. And by necessity, the brothers had to come down to Egypt to buy grain. And of course, they are thinking Joseph is dead. They have no clue that the governor that they are going to ask for the grain is actually Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize Joseph at all. And so what a great opportunity, right, for Joseph to get back, right? Right? I mean, this is like movie stuff from Hollywood. Yes! That's not what happens, though. In Genesis chapter 42, well, Joseph did set up a few tests, by the way, to see what their heart was. He knew that there was another brother at home, Benjamin, and he was wondering if they had changed, he, he figured Benjamin was probably now daddy's favorite. And were they going to be mean to Benjamin or not? And, and so he gave them a series of tests just to check their heart. But during the course of the test, something came up in their conversation, the brother's conversation. In Genesis 42, they're talking in Hebrew. They don't think that the governor can actually understand them. But he can because he is Joseph. And this is what he hears them say. They said, surely we are being punished. Because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. Do you see the honesty there? They were acknowledging their sin. They had heard their brothers, their little brothers pleading and his distress. But they refused to listen. Right now, right then, they were being transparent with one another. It wasn't, yeah, we were jerks. 
It wasn't that at all. They actually outlined what they had done. They owned the offense. As believers, as we apologize, we must fight against the urge to just defend ourselves, uh, to, to excuse our behavior, to explain why we did what we did. Owning the offense fully, it's really the only way that we can demonstrate our understanding of what that thing really did. And it's the only way to give the assurance to the other person that maybe I won't do this again. Because I know what I did to hurt you. Maybe I won't do that again. Number two, ready? Say you're sorry. Seems like a very simple thing, right? Say you're sorry. Once you've owned the offense fully, it's now actually time to express in words, in words, your remorse. For this, I turn to the prodigal son, the story, the, 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 uh, the, the parable that Jesus tells there that Luke records for us. Story goes like this. A father has got two sons. The youngest one wants his share of the inheritance before dad dies. Dad gives it to him. And the, the, the boy, the young man, goes out and squanders the money on riotous living. And he ends up spending it all. He, he winds up destitute, poor, feeding pigs, which for a Jewish young man, that would have been really anathema. That would have been uh, unclean. And he's actually hungering and coveting the food that that the pigs are eating. And that's when Jesus says in this parable, as he's telling the story, that he came to his senses. And he realized that even the servants back home were living better than he was. And so he realizes that uh, he's going to take a chance on going back to his father to say he's sorry. To ask for forgiveness and to accept whatever punishment would be fitting, even if it meant just being a servant and not being a son anymore. And so he rehearses this apology as he heads home. And he's probably very anxious, not knowing what dad's going to say or how dad is going to respond to him. And there in Luke 15, he says, Father, this is the speech, this is the apology that he's going over and over in his mind that he is able to say to his dad when his dad finally runs to see him. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Folks, do you see the beauty of that kind of speech? There's no excuses. Yeah, but dad, you, you, blame it on my youth. I'm, I did something dumb, but I really wanted to see what the world was like, and you really never gave me any. No, no, just I have sinned. No justification. A friend of mine in ministry up in Tillamook at the Christian church there, a guy named Dean Christ, had been in youth ministry with me and then went on to, to become a, a senior pastor. And I went to go visit him and I said, so what's different about being a senior pastor than being a youth pastor? And he said, actually, he had learned something about apologizing as a pastor now that he was in the lead role. And then I said, well, what's the secret? He said, yeah, I learned the secret. I said, well, what's the secret? He goes, you want to know the secret? I said, sure. He goes, okay, ready? And I'm going to tell you to you. Ready? Ready? I'm sorry. You see the period after that? There's no, I'm sorry, but. I'm sorry, I didn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. See, when you say, I'm sorry, but, or I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, even that, what you're, what you're really saying to the person is that what you think you did wasn't as bad as what they think you did. You, you might even be conveying to them, hey, listen, I'm sorry that you got your feelings hurt. Wasn't my fault. Wasn't trying to make you mad. But you did. 
You did devalue them. You did make them upset. You got them mad. You hurt them. Whatever. You did. You did something wrong. My mom, one of the wisest women that I've ever known in my life, I would say when I was a kid, I'd say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. And then she'd nail me by saying, yes, but you didn't mean not to. I'm giving that to you moms right now. I didn't mean to. Yes, but you didn't mean not to. That's why I actually believe that the phrase, will you forgive me, is actually even a more powerful statement than saying, I'm sorry. Because if I were to ask you for forgiveness, I'm risking something. I'm risking getting an answer that I don't want to hear. Because if I ask you for forgiveness, what's the the worst answer that I can get? You could say no. And folks, that would be your right. Just because I am apologetic, just because I'm coming to you and saying I'm sorry, doesn't mean that you necessarily have to accept my apology. Asking for forgiveness is now I am being transparent. I am now running the risk of being rejected, and I don't like to do that. And so there's got to be humility and a commitment to reconciliation no matter what. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul tells us, I'm happy. He had nailed the Corinthian church about something that they were doing that was wrong. And they were sorry. And he says, now I'm happy. Not because you're sorry, but because you're sorry or your sorrow led you to repentance. See, their being sorry actually led them to change their ways. That was a good thing. Too many times, if, if we never say, I'm sorry, or forgive me, we will never change. We'll do it again and again and again and again. Our sorrow should lead us to want to not do that anymore. And again, humility and commitment. Discipleship takes humility. Going to the cross took humility. That's what Pastor Andy read to us today from Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, as Christ did when he went to the cross, where he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we see honesty and humility at work in owning the offense and also in being willing to say we're sorry. Last point. Be ready to do repair work. Be ready to do repair work. Here's the last piece of the puzzle. Here's where commitment and generosity and actually courage come into it. You see, a Christian apology must be ready to roll up our sleeves and be willing to do what is necessary to make things right. Sometimes, if you're ready to do the repair work, sometimes that repair work is on something physical. Like the time where I was in youth ministry, taking a bunch of kids to camp, driving a long bed and extended cab diesel truck for the very first time in my life, and trying to park it in a regular parking spot right next to a brand new Cadillac. Whoops. Yeah. One of my kids had gone out and was kind of guiding me in, and I was, I was trying to, to, to uh, navigate the curve, and here's Tommy, and all of a sudden Tommy goes, and I hear crunch. Sometimes the repair work is on something tangible, like a Cadillac. Praise God for the grace of Chuck. Uh, That's the guy who owned the Cadillac, and he told me to not worry about it. That's another sermon right there about forgiveness and grace that I did not deserve. But praise Jesus, I had. Otherwise, I think I'd still be paying for that thing. But more often, we're talking not about tangible things that need repair, but things like our heart, somebody's heart, somebody's, somebody's feelings, somebody's sense of value. 
relationships. Those are broken more often than Cadillacs are. And in those cases, the effort of the believer should be based on love, the same kind of love that Jesus showed to us by going to the cross. So the best question I have found to say is, what can I do to make this right? You should practice that. Not, not now, but what can I do to make this right? See, that's courage right there, isn't it? That's commitment to doing whatever, to give of yourself in generosity. It's an act of love. Your willingness to make amends in some tangible way, being willing to do the work, to put in the effort, to pay the price, going the extra mile, to demonstrate to your brother or your sister whom you have offended that you honor them, that they are, that you regard them even better than yourself. You honor their feelings and their perspective on what had happened and their experience. And that tends to have an amazing healing power in relationships. Now, what, what if they say no? What if they say, I, I cannot forgive you? That's, a, that's up to them and God, by the way. That's not on you. God, God says, again, in Romans 12, 18, one of my very favorite passages, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Which tells me that we're responsible for us and what we're supposed to do. And if the other person needs time because you have hurt them that deeply, that's okay. You have done what God has asked you to do because it's really more about your relationship with him. The prodigal son came home and said, I sinned against heaven before he said, I sinned against you. See, because even if the other person does not forgive you, something has happened in you for you to be willing to do this. You have changed. You have shown maturity. You are more like Jesus for doing what he called you to do. And your attitude towards what you did to offend that other person is much more about getting right with God than anything else. So by making, even making an attempt to reconciliation, it doesn't make you perfect, but it shows your willingness to be honest about the fact that you're a human, you have shortcomings, and your desire to make it better. Folks, I don't know how many times I have had to say I'm sorry to people that I tell every week. I love you, and I love serving as your pastor, and sometimes I do sinful things that hurt you, and I'm sorry. But by saying that, I don't want to just dismiss it. By saying that, I want to change. I don't want to have to tell you sorry twice. Although Jesus does say that we should be forgiving of somebody who sins against us 70 times 7. So once I hit that 491st time, then you can go ahead and just bite my head off, I guess. No, 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 no. See, again, you try to justify I need to learn to say I'm sorry in such a way that I, next time I'm in that situation, I have learned, and I'm better, and I'm more like Jesus. It's too bad that Allie McGraw's character in Love Story died so young, because if she had made it to her 50s, maybe she would have learned that true love really means always being willing to say you're sorry. Uh, Gabe, hunt your team, uh, and you come on up, and uh, we're going to finish up. There's a website out there. I read an article about it. It's a true thing. It's how it works is people uh, can log on to register an apology. It's an apology website. You can say you're sorry to anyone for anything. And so unburden your, yourself of all the guilt that you've been carrying for everything that you've done. Once that, that site went public since then, thousands and thousands of people have logged in to say sorry for all sorts of things. Now, I was reading an article about this website 
And the author of the article highlighted something very interesting that, that I said, oh, it's like that, that's too good to not pull out and talk about. This is a quote from the author who said, many apologies on the website, when you go and look at this and read it, many apologies on the website don't seem really concerned about really fixing it. It's sad, he says, you go to the website, but nowhere will it tell you what real repentance is. Well, folks, that's, that's what I'm telling you. The world has no idea what it really means to repent, and that's what apology needs to actually lead to. It's not just about saying I'm sorry. It's about saying I'm sorry and leading to repentance, a change in us. That's what we have to understand. You can go on a website all you want to find that out, folks. The only way you're going to find that is right here. The only way you're going to find out is right here. That's what the upside-down kingdom is all about as we move into that Jesus is telling us that as his disciples, it's high time that we change the culture of this world by showing the world what a true apology is all about because it's all about repentance. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song and we're going to be done a couple minutes early. Yay. Love you guys. I hope 2021 will be a time where you will uh, practice this and that we can begin to see relationships healed, that God would love to see healed. So let me pray for that, and then we will uh, close this out with a song with our worship team. Father God, thank you so much for giving us your love and for forgiving us for all of our sins, all of our faults, all of the things that we have done to hurt you, to hurt other people. And yet, Lord, we still have this tangible thing called life where we're having relationships left and right and oftentimes we overstep our bounds and we are too self-centered we are too worried about what we want that um, we don't think about other people so oftentimes god we need to say i'm sorry and so thank you so much for giving us wisdom from your word about how to do this lord i would pray that you would use uh, our willingness to submit to you in the upside down kingdom to actually bring healing to relationships that may have been damaged for years. God, what what an incredible celebration we could have by hearing the testimonies of people saying, you know what, I went to my dad and I said, I'm sorry. I went to my my cousin and I said, I'm sorry. I I called up my ex-wife and I told her I was sorry to see what would happen. God, you're good and your wisdom is good and we want to lean on your word and what you have said for us to do trusting that you know best. And so, God, we give ourselves once again to you, submitting ourselves to you. Shine through us this week so that we might shine for you. I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people agreed and said, amen.